Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. The benefit of following a lectionary is that it forces those in church to hear the assigned reading with no regard for who is present, how they sin, or what they prefer to hear. If they are present, the judgment of the reading applies to them, period, full stop. When we deceive ourselves, picking and choosing the reading or the verse, when we attempt to discern what should be emphasized or what we think applies to us, we imagine that we are something when we are nothing. We make ourselves a god. In the Bible, the only thing worse than a city builder is a city builder with a God complex. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 23 to 24. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 365 of the Bible as Literature podcast. One of the great blessings of the biblical tradition is the demand that we submit to the text. In submitting to the text, which is God's commandment, we learn to submit to one another. That's why we do what the Pharisee says without worrying about what the Pharisee does. Because part of the instruction is our submission to the Pharisee, even when the Pharisee is a total hypocrite. But this can't be possible, Rich, unless we take seriously the whole teaching of God. We have to submit to the whole teaching, meaning... You cannot preach to your sins. You cannot preach to your preferences. You have to deal with what the text says. And sometimes the text is embarrassing because it hones in on something that you do wrong all the time. Other times the text doesn't really grab you because you think that sin doesn't apply to you. That whole approach is self-righteous and wicked. The whole text applies to you, no matter what you think about your own sins or the sins of your neighbor, because you are not the one seated on the heavenly throne. When you play this game of self-righteousness, you fall in the trap of picking and choosing which verses you think apply to you or to the audience. But considering the audience or thinking about yourself personally is the tail wagging the dog. This is such an important point, I agree, Father, because 
people who are good at one piece of scripture, at one commandment, like to make a big thing out of that one commandment. If those same people are bad at or uncomfortable with another one, then they'll spend less time thinking about it. People who like to spend a lot of time talking about faith and not works are people who believe really strongly in their hearts and really emotionally can talk about Jesus and about his story and about the gospel. But those same people, when it comes to teachings about poverty and riches, about dedicating oneself to the weaker brother, tend to metaphorize or downplay those, say, well, that's not what Jesus actually wanted. People are really good at piety, love to talk about piety and how important it is to be pious. But then when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount about praying in private and fasting in private, they don't like to take those literally. Or even those who are very much against violence and are very much against clashes of civilization and believe how terrible this is, they have an easy time ignoring Joshua and numbers and ignoring what those are teaching as well. So it's really common that people don't just take things out of context, but whether consciously or unconsciously, are selecting the contexts that they want. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Here, Jesus is explaining the way in which the Pharisees and the scribes make out of God's law, which was given to cause them to stumble, so that they would humble themselves before their neighbor and before God, Jesus is demonstrating how they twist it into a protein shake. It just so happens that tithing mint and dill and cumin, rules established to put pressure on you, happen to be more attainable for some rather than others. And so those who can somehow fulfill that rule, think that this puts them in a position to judge those who don't. The law micromanages you in order to put you to shame. So the one who stumbles in fulfilling the tithe has a better chance of hearing and submitting to the weightier matters of the law. The one who is successful in these smaller matters fools themselves into thinking they're righteous. They make out of the micromanagement of God's teaching their protein shake when it should be a cause for stumbling. I want to keep repeating this. This is why the prostitute and the thief receive the teaching of Jesus Christ, because they know that they have not fulfilled the requirements of the law. And the perfect example is the person who asks you if you've accepted Jesus into your heart and then explains to you how that teaching does not apply to children locked in cages at the border. 
This is the absurdity of legalism. The fundamentalism is always about selecting those items which you believe are the fundamentals. When you choose the fundamentals, you miss the actual fundamentals. This whole passage, Jesus is trying to pull apart the Pharisees as a reference and Scripture as a reference, because the Pharisees make themselves the reference, and that's how they fool people. They look good, they sound good, they act good, and you think, well, this must be from God. And this is the thing. Americans, we're the most susceptible to this. I mean, we're the ones who have all the cults and all the charismatic leaders and all the new religions. And then we're always trying to find converts. Actually, this was funny. I had a conversation with my family. All the religions in the United States are always constantly on the lookout for converts. My daughter said, including the Orthodox. And I said, no, only the Orthodox in America are scrambling for proselytes. Not in the old world. There's something in America that makes us always be attracted to these charismatic leaders and want to find more proselytes for our religion. So this really applies to us. The reference point here is the individual Pharisee in the Pharisee's mind. The disciples are hoodwinked into thinking that the Pharisee is the reference point because it's the Pharisee who goes all over the world to make a proselyte in his own name, just like him. It's the Pharisee who thinks that it's what he offers in the temple that is worth swearing by. What he offers, what he tithes is the reference point. Because here's the thing, the weightier matters of the law, if you actually want to be a true fundamentalist and do the things that Scripture tells you to do, I mean, Scripture actually tells you, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. (laughs) that's actually written in scripture. If you want to be a fundamentalist, follow that one. Justice and mercy and faithfulness is from the one who is the judge. Faithfulness, meaning that those of us who claim God is this judge, trust in his law and trust in his teaching. Whether I'm tithing correctly or not is completely self-serving. It's completely self-referential. Am I doing the right thing? Am I tithing the right thing? Is it my gold that's offered on the altar? Forget the altar. Forget the temple. Let's talk about my gold in the temple. See, this is the thing. It's the reference point. The one who is focused on their offering, on what they're doing, is contradicting Matthew 5, where you are not even allowed to know yourself the acts of righteousness you're doing, and focusing on the true reference point, which is God's law, God's Torah, which is teaching you about justice and about mercy and what it means to trust in that justice and in that mercy. Classically, the Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic Christian who wants to explain why they don't think they need to go to confession always begins making excuses and excuses in sin, as David says in the Psalms. They begin by explaining how they don't commit any of the big sins. Maybe they say, I don't cheat on my spouse. Okay, great. So you stayed married to your husband all those years. Did you gossip about him? Did you mistreat him? 
Conversely, did you neglect your wife? Did you impose your chauvinism on her, forcing her to do the lion's share of work in the household? Did you neglect your children? Did you gossip about relatives? Did you ever glory in another person's failure or in their embarrassment and shame? Did you ever put the acquisition of wealth before the love of neighbor? Did you ever put your own entertainment or happiness before the cause of the gospel? Do you see any connection between the gas you pump into your car and the price of Iraqi or Yemeni blood? Is there any connection between your comfort and another person's suffering? Good for you. Good for you. You haven't committed any of the big sins. And of course, the point of this example, Richard, is who are you to decide what a big sin and what a small sin is? How can you be your own guide? How can you judge? There is one judge. And with respect to the example of confession, we submit to God in our submission to one another. So to find another person, priest or otherwise, and make every effort to be honest about yourself with that person, that's a real loving relationship. And to allow the other person to challenge you about your behaviors, that's a true relationship that reflects the wisdom of Paul's teaching in Ephesians, to submit to one another, which is the opposite of what happens when you tithe cumin and you decide as a Pharisee, since I know I can preach to that because I do that one correctly, I'm going to go slam everyone who doesn't tithe cumin. Or since I didn't get divorced, I'm going to go slam people who get divorced. That's how Christians operate. Or they're doing something and they don't want the world to know, and so they become very outspoken against that thing to hide their shame, which is the flip side of the same behavior. Your reference is yourself. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I love this because I'm an Arab. <laughs> I'd love to see you swallow a camel. <laughs> They're so careful about making sure that what they eat is clean, that they're going to go and pick out any tiny bug that might be in there, that they forget about the meat itself that they're eating. In the course of making yourself the reference point, you embody the sin and the rebellion of the teaching you're supposedly teaching. You've embodied that rebellion. You've brought that rebellion into yourself and made it part of you while looking for these things that you're still okay at. That's why, like you were saying, I don't commit any of the big sins. I mean, it raises the question, can you tell me what the big sins are again? Let's review. What are the big sins? Here he says, it's like, you know, you're so concerned about tithing and making sure you tithe and making sure you tithe and no, no, no. What about taking care of those around you? What about making the teaching the reference point rather than yourself? I mean, this is the sin. This is the basic problem. This is the problem between the law that was given to Adam, don't eat, and the rebellion that Eve heard from the serpent, which is, oh, God just doesn't want you to know. Eve wanted to know rather than be obedient. The human being wanted to be the master of their own destiny. They did not want to leave that to God, 
and this is the basis of human rebellion, and this is the basis of Pharisaic rebellion, and this is the basis of American Christian rebellion. We want our party to be in power because that way good things will happen, but we're willing to make that the reference point when we see our leader acting like a scoundrel or a murderer. Well, scoundreling and murdering, you know, I understand that those are problems or whatever, but, you know, we want to make sure that this policy gets passed. Really? Is that the weightier matter here? Understanding what that weightier matter is, is the essence. And so you think that the gnat polluting your food is worse than the pollution the food itself puts in your body. The problem with political Christianity, like political Islam or political Judaism, and all three exist, don't tell me otherwise, and don't tell me there's a difference, because as I said, my mother is a Palestinian refugee. Theocracy is theocracy. The problem with political religion is that it seeks fruit on its terms instead of seeking to establish roots from the seed of Scripture. Father Paul says it all the time, roots, not fruits. When you're interested in fruits, you can't but be self-referential because you are trying to make the kingdom with your own hands. Like this disgusting memo that was circulated by the Council of Churches about making the kingdom of God on earth. Is that, as Father Paul would say, is that for real? All the heads of the churches get together to explain how they're going to make the kingdom of God? At least, then, if you're going to do that, make him handsome. Make him look beautiful and white like Zeus and Apollo. Don't go for Baal, because we Semites aren't as pretty in your self-righteous eyes. It's a joke, Richard. It's a joke. Everybody wants to make a God in their image for their purposes. And that's how you end up with somebody holding a cross and a flag while they're attacking the Capitol. I love the way you explained that as the religion of the Sadducees. That's exactly what it is. They are Sadducees. And the tragedy of the educated Pharisee is that in his self-referentiality, he leads everyone down the same wicked path. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.